Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. We're on this theme this month about winning. And I was thinking about this a whole lot. And I was like, man, what was it like to be a little kid? Because sometimes I forget. I'm getting older, if you hadn't noticed. Gray hair. Not as, not as slender as I once was. But we're talking about winning. And I was like, as a kid, I believed I was winning at everything. Right? Like little kid, right? But at the same time, when I look back, I was really stupid. A lot. Okay, I lived in the woods. You guys know I kind of grew up in like a summer camp, but I lived in the forest up in the pine trees. And what comes with pine trees? If you live in a forest full of pine trees, what do you have? Sap is one thing. What else? Pine cones. And to any, you know, 3 to 12-year-old boy, what does a pine cone most look like? A hand grenade. So listen, my... I, I. All of my childhood, I don't know that it was every bit of my childhood was wrapped up, but pretty much my entire childhood that I remember was completely absorbed with tree houses. We would build, I lived in the middle of the biggest ponderosa pine forest in the world, in Arizona. It's not all desert, just saying, okay? Ponderosa pine trees everywhere. And we built tree forts like professionally from age two or something, okay? It's just what we did because there were 15 of us kids that all lived at the camp together, our parents were all the staff at this big camp, and we all lived there, like, within, like, 100 yards of each other, and we kind of had 100 acres of national forest, or 100 acres of our property surrounded by the national forest of pine forest to run freely, and this was before kidnappings were popular, I guess. I don't know. So we would just, like, at four years old, we'd be, like, after breakfast, we're, like, bye, mom, see you at lunch, and they just didn't care where we were, right? And with that goes a lot of stupid things. Okay, so we would build tree forts. So we would be, I literally, literally, okay, when I was, I was probably eight, nine, eight or nine years old, I think, somewhere in that range, seven, eight, nine years old, we built an eight-story tree fort. No lie. Okay, four, four pine trees in a perfect square, and one day we're like, let's build a fort. So we built a platform, like a deck in between those four trees, and they were probably like six feet apart. It was like a small deck, you know. So we built this deck, and we played on that for like a half an hour. We're like, this is boring. So let's build another deck. So we, like, and we went up, like, this much higher because we were little. You know, that was a story. It was this tall. You know, and we built another deck, and we put a trap door in the floor with hinges, stole stuff out of my dad's shop to build it, you know. And, like, so we'd climb up, and we'd flip the door open, and we'd climb up through the door, flip the door closed, we could lock it, and bad guys couldn't get in, right? This was, like, the story of my life. And then we played on that for a little while, and we're like, this is boring. Boom, boom, boom. Eight stories, Okay. So my dad's only rule for our tree forts was that we could keep our fort until someone got hurt. That was my dad's only rule. And that was funny because we built a lot of forts, which kind of tells you we got hurt a lot. But what we also learned was that if dad doesn't know we got hurt, we keep the fort. So we learned to tolerate a great deal of pain without whining. We would step on nails right through the top of our foot. Not tell mom and dad. Wear sneakers for a couple weeks so they wouldn't see it. Yeah, literally, we would do this stuff, but it was always my sister. It was always my sister who would barely get hurt. they go, dad, right? And then dad would bring the backhoe out, the big tractor, reach up in the tree with the back hook thing, and rip it out of the tree. That was his rule. We'd keep the fort so he would cause us to build them safe as possible. 
didn't happen. But, okay, so, but we, all, all along with all this, so we were dumb because we would just try crazy things. We'd be like 30 feet up in trees with a hammer and a saw and nails, like hooked around a branch with our legs so we could use both arms, you know, at like eight years old. That was normal life, okay, climbing trees. And is this part of my life none of you have ever heard before? I love this, okay? Anyway, this is like my whole life. So with these tree houses required defense systems, right? I mean, if you're going to have a tree house, there obviously has to be an enemy that is coming to get you, right? Of course there is. When you're eight or nine years old, the bad guys are going to come, so we have to booby trap everything around the forest. So we would dig these ridiculous holes. It was amazing the amount of work we would put in. We would dig holes, and then we'd lay sticks across them and cover them with pine needles and leaves so that you couldn't even see it. We were good at it. Good, good at it. We do these all around our forts. So like if the bad guys came, but we knew where they were. So we'd be like, oh, you know, not there, there, there. And climb up our fort, we're good, you know. But the bad guys, they were in trouble. And then the other thing that we would do with these pine cones that look like grenades is we would haul, we'd put up pulleys and buckets, and we'd fill buckets with pine cones, and we'd pull them up to the top decks, and we'd have these boxes full of pine cones for when the bad guys come. <laughs> And then we'd get the whole thing built, and it'd be this really great plan, this really great thing that we would have all set up, and then no bad guys would come. So, but we wanted war. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's a lot of work. So we would divide in two teams, and one team would be the bad guys, and one would be the good guys, and we would have pine cone wars. Throwing them at each other. Now, if you've never seen a pine cone before, I don't know if you have or not, there's a little sharp point on every little leaf of these little hard, not quite rock things, but kind of like wood. But they fly pretty good, and when they get wet, they shrink down real small. They, like, close up, and they're like baseballs then. I mean, like, hard, right? They don't get very wet in Arizona. So we usually had them lightweight, you know. But we just, out of the trees, we're like, we take them in the face, and we'd get, like, scratches, and our parents would be like, how'd you get the hurt? You know, we'd be like, we were over there, on that, away away from the fort. We could not be hurt at the fort. That was, like, the rule. It was like, oh, we were over on the other side of camp, and, you know, we got, it was just an accident. Oh, okay, well, careful, you know. I think our parents totally knew. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure they knew. But anyway, so other things that we really did, um, how many of you have seen um, Tomorrowland, the new movie that's out? Are you kidding me? Tomorrowland, it's the new George Clooney movie that's like in the theaters the last like few months. Came out in July or June, May or June. You're not a, nobody in here has seen it. <laughs> really bad example, okay? I'm going to try to not do a spoiler alert, but I would totally recommend you see this movie. Crazy cool storyline because it's this whole end time apocalypse movie like you've seen a million of, but it's the total flip side where it's the call to this generation of great dreamers who see that there's problems in the world and the big premise of the whole thing is, but uh, but who are the people who are going to see the problems in the world and say, what are we going to do about it? And the whole movie is this premise where they're searching for dreamers, for visionaries, for people, young people, and they're all young, ding, 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 who are dreaming big enough to take a victory, to see the problems of the world and go, oh, man, the world's going to crap. We're all going to hell. And not just camp there in loser world, but step into a winning attitude and say, well, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to move forward? And a lot of it's based around, like, inventions and technological advances and all this stuff. It's cool. 
really, really good film, and it shows this whole, like, the good guy, bad guy factor about, like, well, we've just kind of decided that most of the population really wants this doomsday reality to be the reality that we look at. Because people are far more interested in following a world where, like, yeah, it's out of control, it's spinning out of control, and we're just riding it out. Because it takes something special, it takes somebody with dream, passion, and vision to want to do something about that. And I submit to you that God is the ultimate dreamer, the ultimate winning reality, because the very minute Adam and Eve set the course on, of, the, of the entire earth, all of God's creation in one action, in one decision, set the entire earth into a tailspin to hell. And God could have looked at that and been like, dang, let's go to this other planet and try again. Because that failed. But God, immediately, there even in the garden, said to the snake, what? You will, the seed of the woman, right, will come. You will bruise his heel and he will crush his head. God said, I'm going to do something about it. Do you follow? So get this, Philippians, and this is all stuff that you guys have totally figured out. Oh, and this is the other illustration. This is the other game we always played as kids, and then this will lead to this. I've got to get my mind on the right track here, okay? All right, if you're a little boy, even little girls do this too, and you find a small dirt hill, yay tall or so, or a large box or crate, or some high object place, What is the automatic game if you're with a group of boys? King of the hill. See? Right? Instantly, there's this king of the hill. And how do you play that game? Does anyone not know how to play king of the hill? Any high place, the goal is you get on top and you stay on top and keep everybody else down. No matter the cost, right? Another stupid child game. Like, no wisdom at all. Like, so what that turns into, and the bigger the boys, the more dangerous it is because it's just like... Boom, right? And like somebody goes to climb up and you like grab them by the back of the belt and you're like rip them to the ground and you dive up before they get off the ground, right? This is the reality of King of the Hill, King of the Hill, right? Well, I think that that reality like plays out in our own everyday lives in a really crazy way where we find ourselves, whether it's our giftings, whether it's what, you know, we're good at or what we excel at or what people have really complimented us on or oftentimes even our spirituality We play king of the hill with other people around us, and we use the things that God's given us, our salvation, our, like, righteousness before God, our gifts, whatever it might be, to one-up everybody else around us. Right? It's like a natural thing that's kind of like, well, I'm so good at this, and kind of makes me feel really good about myself, and -and so-and-so is not. That's the, the mental game that occurs in each and every one of us. On some level, at some point, we start to live this life where we justify our own lives and behaviors based on what we see in other people that's not as good as ours. And we play king of the hill spiritually going on where we start to destroy others for the sake of our own gain, expecting that if we can get on top of the box and pull everybody else down, we somehow win and gain favor with God. Right? So here's the Philippians. If you have your Bible, open to it. If you don't, just listen. I promise not to totally butcher reading it, okay? Do nothing. It's, um, sorry, Philippians 2, verse 3. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others what? Above or better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Good, we got an example for this, because it's kind of like, really? Is that like, how do you do that? Like, right? Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, who was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You've all heard this before, right? Get this, picture what's going on right here as a big game of king of the hill. Jesus came to this reality that said, you know what? Being top of the box, being king of the hill, doesn't make me equal with God. Because equality with God isn't even graspable. So suddenly what, what Christ's attitude does and the attitude that we are to take on ourselves is that he humbled himself, or let's see, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, this is really good, God exalted him to the highest place. The attitude that was in Jesus Christ was not, if I get to the top of the box, I'll be equal with God. In fact, he gave his entire life to the fact that the people around him needed a boost, and even when they got the boost, they weren't going to be equal with God. So it wasn't a competition at all because equality with God wasn't something to go for. So there's no threat in lifting one another up before God because they're not going to get better than you. They're not going to get to a higher place than you. They're not going to achieve godliness. And it's not a competitive spirit thing that, oh, i got to stay above all these people around me and be more spiritual and be more into God than everybody else. It's actually, i got to get everybody else around me up because they need me. Because they need my help. If I tear people off the pedestal and stand up there proud of myself, what have I gained? Not equality with God. Because that can't be grasped. But what Jesus did is he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to empty myself, become a man just like them to help them up. And then what did God do? Exalted him to the highest place. And all of us benefited from him being in a place of servanthood. So I feel like that's the call to each and every one of you. A winning attitude isn't a matter of conquering, taking over, being better than, being above than, pushing everybody else down to make yourself righteous, which is a sin. Self-righteousness. But a place of making others righteous by pressing one another into God by getting below people, by getting under people around you that you might even feel better than. You can guarantee Jesus felt better than everyone he was seeing. He knew he was above it, quote unquote. But he chose to get under those who needed it. And those who then, like, we get this reciprocal action in the Christian community that when you get under those that need it, when you need it, someone's under you, and suddenly everybody's rising up before God, and God's saying, yes, I exalt you. Yes, I exalt you. Yes, I exalt you. Right? Does that sound bad for God to exalt you? 
Does that shake anybody's theology at all? Like, God doesn't exalt me. Go over to Romans 8. It's a good chapter. It'll blow your mind. If you, like, yeah. Ooh. Man, I'm behind. I'm so NIV. Oh. Just can't. Okay. Anyway, here we go. More than conquerors is the headline of this, right? Check this out. How many of you like winning? Okay, so the idea here, to be winners, we take on a mind like Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to even work for, but he put himself below us, lifted us up on the cross, literally, okay, and God exalted him. But right here it says, more than conquerors, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know, and you've heard this verse, I use it a lot, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, And have been called according to his purpose. We have to continue at that point. For those God foreknew, and this is a whole other teaching that we're not going to dig into all the details of this right here. But for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. There we go. Now, but see. But those he justified, this is the kicker, he glorified. Do you follow this? So every one of you sitting in this room who have ever felt a tug from the Holy Spirit, a tug from God, come and be my child. I love you. I want you. You've been called, predestined, foreknew by God from the creation of the world. Can you understand that, that he foreknew it, he predestined it, and you still have a choice? Absolutely. He's God. Stop trying to wrap your brain around it. But he did. If you're sitting here in this room and you've ever felt that tug, you've been called. And those he called, he justified. He made it right for you. Got up underneath you, popped you up on top of that hill and said, you be king. And God justified him or glorified him, whatever it would be. Yeah, But this is the other thing. Those he justified, he also glorified. And we're talking about God toward people. God glorifies you. It's right there in Romans 8. You can read it later if you don't have it in front of you, okay? So I had to go to the etymology, okay, and the lexicons and all this stuff and figure out what exactly, what this word is called glorified. We're going to listen to it in the Greek. Are you ready? I can play it from my phone. Lame. Okay, here we go. Ready? Strong's G, 1392. Doxazo. Doxazo. There you go. That's how you pronounce it. Doxazo. Means to glorify. Here we go. These are the these are the definitions of this word in the Greek right here. To think, suppose, or be of opinion. I don't really understand that one. Number two, it says to praise, extol, magnify, or celebrate. Number three says to honor, do honor to, or hold in honor. Number four says to make glorious, adorn with luster, clothe with splendor. This is what God does for you. Do you follow? There's more. Clothed with splendor, right? To impart glory to something or render it excellent. To make renowned, render illustrious. 
That's a big word too, right? To cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. I love that one. I'm going to read it again. To cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. Who glorifies you? God does. If you glorify you, if Christ would have glorified himself, none of us would be sitting here with a hope and a future. Christ humbled himself, got under those who were desperately in need of help. You and me pressed us up before the Father, and God exalted him to the highest place. God glorifies you. You don't need to glorify you at all. That's a really good thing, to make known how great it's like to adorn illustriously. I like that word. I don't know exactly what it means. But that's God's heart. Well, that's funny. Anyway. Sweet. All right. Do you follow this, though, guys? There's this reality. When you want to be a winner, it's not a matter of beating anybody. It's about pushing everyone else ahead of you to the glory of God, and you become glorified in the process. Because God does the work. It's not up to you to point out where everybody else has faulted, and you have arrived so much better. Wow, man, I really wish that person would... Like, figure out how to be in worship, man. Like, I'm so good at worshiping, and that person just sits over in the corner and picks their nose. Like, what the heck? Come on. We, we all kind of, like, whatever judgment it might be that we put on people that we start to go, oh, because it makes us feel better to at least put ourselves on a comparison plane and play a little spiritual king of the hill. Man, that person behind me cannot sing. Sorry to those who you were in front of me over here. Okay? I don't care. Okay? Like, really, I know I can't, but I'm gonna. Suck it up. Okay? I'm sorry, really, if I throw you off, but I don't mean to. Does that make sense, guys? We can place all kinds of judgments on people, and we can try to drive others down and make ourselves feel good, and that's, that's the world's system if you haven't figured that out. What's the purpose of bullying? If I make others feel better, worse than me, then I can feel a little bit better about myself. That's it. Only broken people bully because they're desperate to be king of the hill. So the only way they can feel like a king of the hill is to destroy somebody else. That's man's way of thinking. That's the devil's way of thinking. And the command of Scripture in Philippians is, you should have the mind in you that is in Christ, who being God himself, didn't even think of equality with God as a goal. But to lower himself as low, as low, as low, as low. And this isn't in a beat yourself up and be hateful towards yourself and all that. And we covered that, I think, last week a little bit. You've got to be able to love yourself. Because God said, love your neighbor as yourself. So you can love yourself. Jesus definitely loved himself and knew exactly who he was. He never degraded God's creation that was Jesus. He never go, and man, I really got the wrong body for this. Did he? Oh, man, God, if you would have made my muscles a little bigger, these Pharisees wouldn't come at me like this. He was a carpenter, so he was probably pretty ripped. But, you know, but 
Serious. But every one of you know that you can find some reason to whine about what you got. you got to be able to love yourself to the place that you're not worried about your level on the box or your level on king of the hill. But you actually go like, man, if these people knew how good it is, get down there, put them up on your shoulder and pop them up there and watch God exalt you. God exalt you. And it's like magical because every bit of it is life-giving because the people you helped are alive and they learn what it's like to help others. Oh, my gosh. You guys understand what this does, right? This is a kingdom principle. And when we talk about outreach, we talk about the people who are lost in your schools and in your neighborhoods and your communities and sports teams and all this stuff that don't know God. Don't ever, obviously, you guys know this. I'm not trying to accuse anybody. But never let your mind go, wow, they just don't get it. Get your butt underneath them and pop them up on top of that hill so they get an experience with God. And let God do the exalting. Let God do the glorifying. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.